1: You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young podcast.
2: Hello everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young podcast. This is your host Jason Roundsville and as with me as always, I've got Dylan Ray Today we have our, our guest on. Um, this is Tom Clum. He has done a ton of stuff for the club. He's done, um, gosh, you, you've done workshops at conventions and all kinds of things. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Glad to Thank have you. you. Nice to be so, here. So, tell us, give give uh, if if we have any listeners who may not who may not know who you are, give them a little background on you just just for some of our new folks
3: okay let's try to get a snapshot i've been in the archery business started a second business so i guess it was about 1990 uh it was a traditional archery specialist in a retail store Uh, we moved to a big facility about seven years ago we've got every kind of archery that you can imagine probably the biggest selection of recurves longbows in the world in one store in a retail location also we've got a great tech shop with all the major brands Uh, we have an archery range. It's a full, it's a, and we have a big retail presence with high end packs, boots and a cutlery store, a knife shop and all kinds of hunting accessories. So where are you,
2: Tom? We're in the Denver area,
3: Wheat Ridge, Colorado. It's in the Denver area. We're Northwest suburban Denver, basically. Okay. Um, Yeah. Easy place to get to for people coming in town right off of interstate 70, the, the major East West highway through Denver on the West side of town. Um, Anyways, I've uh, had a you know, I've been a, a bow hunter since nineteen seventy six or start that's when I started. Um, that's, that's
2: a that's a couple minutes ago.
3: Yeah, a couple minutes yeah. ago. Uh, last 17 years I've had a pretty extensive education in archery coaching. I got dialed into the USA archery certified coaches stuff about seventeen years ago and uh, gone through the whole process up to the level four experience, which is the elite. Coaches developmental program in Chula Vista, California at the Olympic Training Center. Obtained my level four certification there. Um, different kind of guy, though, for a, a highly certified coach. Most all those guys uh, want to coach an next olympian I've always wanted to share this information with people like me. The okay, average Joe Blow bow hunter and uh, guys that just enjoy shooting a, a bow. Uh, primarily coach a lot of traditional archery. Uh, obviously, in our store, I coach a lot of compound shooters too, but uh, most of my life now is as, as I reeled out the, the store to my son Dan, uh, most of my life spent coaching, I suppose.
2: Well, and I know you've done um, some seminars, I think, at the last couple conventions.
3: Yeah, probably had missed the last two, but the two before that. Okay. Uh, I did. Yeah.
2: Doing my research, I heard it was very popular and very well attended. Uh-huh. A huge huge contingent as you know of Pope and Young are our traditional archery shooters and yes. so I think there's a lot of them that that do that and then there's the other ones that are that are always curious about it and I for me I never really was I was like you know I'm I'm comfortable with my compound I, I feel yeah. good about it I've got the confidence there but then you get you hear Dylan talk about shooting trad and, and doing this and trying that and all of a sudden it's uh it definitely piques your curiosity.
3: It's usually uh, you know, you got a buddy that's got one. Yeah. You pick it up and shoot, and it's like, man, this is fun. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden it also piques your interest, and you know, you play with it a little more and you kind of get into it, and like, I'd like to have one of these. It's, yeah. it's kind of the way it started with me, honestly. You know, you back know, I in think, the 80s. Uh,
1: I, I can actually I can nail down the very weekend. It was uh Jim Willems. Uh, who at the time was the president of Pope and Young came by the house and and we were doing some shooting and and uh, I shot his recurve and I'm like yep, I need one yeah <laughs> yeah bingo just that's what right. I was talking about that's, yeah that's, that's the, the way down. we hook you guys in <laughs> which is funny because when I first started working for Bear um I've got this like hunting closet film set uh, that I used to do some filming in front of I'm like well we're gonna mail you some stuff and spruce that up and I'm like okay sounds good. And in that was a bear, uh, grizzly. Uh, and I was like, you know, I put it up on the shelf and, and it sat there for a year and a half and I never even really thought about it. It was just part of the set, you know? Uh, and, and then after that day, he said, or after that day I shot with Jim, I was like, so is this bow like that one's a good <laughs> one? And he's like, yeah, I, you can hunt with that. And so I set that bow up and, and started shooting with it. So, nice. so this one, this one's really for my dad because. I know how I shoot, and that's how I told him. But I want to make sure I'm correct. Okay. So you set your clicker, um, to where, when you get to anchor and you you know switch over in your back a little bit, then you mm-hmm. still have a little bit left on your click, and then it's you know tighten the shoulder blades and it clicks, and that's your when you shoot.
3: Mm-hmm. You don't
1: hold back. You don't get the click and hold back and then release.
3: Now there are some people that use it as a draw check like that. But basically, we're not using a release trigger at that point. But one of the main advantages to using a clicker is, is to use this release trigger so that it activates a subconscious release during the expansion phase of the shot where you're adding string tension. So you get this clean break, this clean linear break. Gotcha. So that's the main advantage to it. But there are people that do use it simply as a draw check. But then all the other mental issues and loss of tension and some other stuff can come into play. So well, that's what yes. I told him. So when I you're I told setting him, that up, you know if he's is this a good angle for you to see? You yeah. He needs a little bit. He needs a little bit of movement in here to be able to get through that clicker on this movement right here.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's what I told him. Um, because he shot. I mean, he used to shoot recurves all the time. Um, and now that I'm getting into it, he he's getting his long bows back out and starting to set them back up and. And uh, that's what I told him, but I just want to make sure that. I've got to add
3: this because this is critically important for the health of his shoulder. To activate that clicker, make sure he's not pulling this way, you know, straight right, in the right. direction, you know, if you're pointing arrow that way and you're pulling that way. That is not what we want. We want direction of tension this way. So that direct, that tension has to be applied this way. Right, kind of like in right. that rotational manner. Then the, the, the break will cause this rotation. If he activates this way, there's an end of range of movement there that he'll slam into. That's the, That's what causes the impingement that can literally result in surgery. It'll start with a sore shoulder. You'll build a bone spur. That bone spur will lacerate a tendon. So, you know, as far as a clicker go, direction of tension, so to speak, is absolutely important for the health of that shoulder using a clicker.
1: Gotcha. I'll
2: it's, tell you what, I you know, for me... Um, mm-hmm my, I don't know, not necessarily introduction, but my yearning or when I thought about trad was I was at a 3d shoot with a buddy and, and I was shooting, I don't know, 80 pounds or whatever into these targets. And it was taking both of us to pull my arrows out. And, (laughs) and we actually shut, there's a big group in front of us, a whole really nice family, great family. And, and there were just two of us and they said, Hey, you guys want to shoot through? And we're like, sure. You want to clear your arrows. They're like, Oh no, go ahead. And uh, so we shot the target and we go down there and it literally took both of us to get my arrow out of that target. Yeah. And then, and then they just walk up there with like two fingers and just pull all their arrows out. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> now that looks a lot more convenient. <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh,
2: it that is. Was, so anyway, that was, uh, that was for me. I'm like, you know, I'm a practical guy. I thought, Hey, that looks, that looks a lot better. <laughs>
1: Well, I'll tell you the, the first time it ever crossed my mind, um, there's a place and it's a, I know somebody will reach out Jason and say I'm wrong, but, um, it's like an air force base or a, a testing place or something like that in Oklahoma. And, and it's a recurve or traditional archery only. And you got to draw for it. And, and, uh, giant deer killed out of there all the time. My brother-in-law has done it a couple of times. And, and so. You know, I was probably a young kid in college, maybe just married. I don't remember, but I remember thinking, "I'm like, well, that would be fun, but it's impossible. Like, I can't hunt a deer with a, a recurve." Yeah, and then you I thought that too, yeah. And then you shoot one, and you're like, "Oh, okay, like it." I could do this. It takes work, but but you can b- become efficient twenty five yards, uh, and and then you start thinking back, and you're like, "Okay, well, I I may have shot two deer in my life at thirty. Uh, and if I can become efficient at 25 with this, why not just home with this? And uh, and so that was the kind of the logical steps for me um, into that kind of transition.
2: Yeah, I was, I got spent some time at antelope camp with uh, some trad guys, Andy Carpenter and some other, other P and P and Y folks. And, uh, you know, we went to the range and, and I was, I was the only guy with a compound. So, you know, it felt a little bit weird about that. And they're all shooting, trad stuff and, and they're shooting at like 20 yards. And I mean, I, I've got pins out to 70 and, and so all of a sudden they're shooting at 20 yards. I'm like, you can get that close to an antelope. And they're like, oh yeah. And it was really neat. Cause it's once again, you know, the thing of the archery over, you know, rifles and, and, and crossbows and that stuff is how close can you get? And this man, this just takes it to that next level is now how really close can you get? <laughs>
1: I'll tell you when I knew, when I knew I had, I had, there was two times this season where I was like, yeah, um, I love hunting with a a recurve. Uh, one of those was I ended up taking my compound to Oklahoma. I had just got the new, uh, compound in from bear and I'm like, well, I want to shoot a deer with it. And so I took it to Oklahoma and I shot a doe at like 12 yards. And I was like, after the shot, I was like, I would have felt much more comfortable shooting that with my recurve. And Mm -hmm. and that's when I knew I was like, I had I had made the switch. And then another time, um, I was hunting with my compound again. And me and Jason kind of let's dive into this with Tom. Um, but but I was hunting with my compound again and I had a nice buck at like 17 yards. And I told Jason, I'm like, you know, had I had my recurve, I would have shot that off. Oh yeah. And I wish I would have had my recurve. Like I wish, but it just wasn't it wasn't a quality enough deer to shoot with my compound, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. I was like, and then looking back all season long, because that was early in the season, I was like, I wish I would have had my recurve and I would have had a nice deer on the ground with my recurve already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested. To hear, I'm interested to hear your take on that of kind of the, the like yeah. the I don't want to say double standard, but that that line in the sand of it's so much more worth it with a recurve.
3: Yeah, there. You know, <laughs> when you add a challenge to anything and you are successful, there's absolutely another level of satisfaction with that. Um, take Aaron Snyder, for example, he got started with, with me, with the recurve, had great success due to sponsorships, some other things he switched to a compound for a year. And he says, man, I killed this many animals and my heart rate never got elevated and literally gave up the sponsorships, come back to a recurve just for the, for the love of it and what he's experiencing. He talked about, you know, seeing so much more animal behavior. Because, you know, when you first see him with his compound, he said, they have been dead right there. But now I've got, to, if it's a turkey, you're sitting on a turkey line, you've got to wait, right? And you get to see so much more interaction of the animals. You know, before it's 60 yards, Hunt's over. Well, now he's got another 30, 40 yards to go.
1: Hunt's and the
3: entire experience became better for him. And God. the entire level of satisfaction when he was successful became better for him. And that I think if you talk to any trad guys, they're going to tell you the same thing. I like most people came from a compound to a recurve. Of course, in my day in the mid eighties, I was still shooting fingers on, you know, the longer axle axle bows and you know, shooting twenty eighteens or twenty one seventeens. So, you know, I'm a little that reflective of my age, and those bows don't do anything like the bows today are. They're flipping amazing today.
1: But uh well, man, but I certainly had added mean, a lot I, for me. I know I texted you the pictures, but uh mm-hmm. That, that first deer I shot in Missouri, I mean, it was, it was a hundred inch deer, but, but that deer meant more than any other. Like I was so emotional in that time because like, man, you had worked your butt off for that deer. Like, yeah, and like yeah. you said, we saw the deer at, at 30, 40, 50 yards and, and the whole time it's coming up, I'm thinking like compound, you're dead. Uh, but you got to give it that extra 10 minutes of watching it to get it to the I think I shot it mm-hmm. at 13. Um, and, and it was it, it, just. A whole it's, it's,
3: level. it's fantastic. And I don't want to add any elitist air to this thing. Um, I'm telling you, you know, if some guys teach with a compound gets his first animal. I'm just tickled for him and he's accomplished something fantastic. You know, that leap from a rifle to a compound, that's a monstrous leap for a hunter. And I, I've always looked at the leap from a compound to a recur. Very, it's a very small step compared to, you know, being a rifle hunter and, coming into a compound bow that's a giant extra challenge and then you go to a recurve and you got that it's another little one um we haven't had good instruction for a long long time i was searching for it for 30 years um i think you know that if i have a legacy i brought what those people with recurves are doing in the olympics say they compete at 70 meters that's basically 77 yards they're shooting off the fingers with a recurve bow it's a that's recurve boat yards. and it's got some weights hanging off the front and the back, but that's a recurve bow. They are replicating positions and executing to, to with such consistency that they're hitting gold most of the time at 77 yards. And I always looked at those folks that are shooting a recurve <laughs> boat and said, they've got to know some stuff that would help me try to kill an elk. Wow. Deer. You know what I mean? And so what I did with that education, you know, at the elite level has just brought the fundamentals back to us guys. How do we produce accuracy? How do we physically and mentally manage a shot to produce accuracy? So that's, that's what I do for us guys. And, wow. uh, was, you know, and then it was such an eye opener when I first, you know, it made such common sense to me, you know, holding position, most important position in archery, line up your skeletal structure to take muscular tension off the whole position. Right. And then how do we get this thing through fingers? you know, without flicking it or losing tension. And, and how, you know, there was, how do we aim this thing? It doesn't have a sight on it. I mean, it was all so new to me, but, you know, when we brought it to a higher level and we, we got execution, you know, a, a process to put your talent into, holy mackerel. I was amazed at what accuracy an unsighted recurve could produce. And, you know, in the old days, it was just more f- free flowing. And it is fun that way. It was just bam. But there's only a certain level of accuracy you can obtain like that. And so, but we, you know, before, say, G Fred, everybody learned from the target world to, to become accurate to hunt with. And then we then we morphed into a free floating style, which is phenomenal. And there's a place for that in hunting. But I've gone more back to, oh, let's learn how to be accurate at long distance even with a recurve through the target world. But if you look at the positions that I teach, you know, from here to hear, you know, those are there's there's a name for that in the shot sequence set position. So set we've all been in those positions as a hunter, every single one of us, multiple times. You've both hunted at any time at all. You've been right here with the bow, you know, at forty five to the ground. Like, where's he going to pop out, right? We've all been up here at this what we call setup position. Like, oh, he's about to pop out. I'm just getting ready to draw that bow. I've got to drop when his head behind a tree or he looks the other way. I come into this position here and holding. We've all been in the same position. So it was, for me, a very easy, logical thing to learn to shoot a bow from the biomechanics perspective and the mental management perspective from the elite level archers with a recurve bow. And then we can take those same positions and we can take them into shooting the bow with the bow parallel to the ground and, you know, up and down hills and everything else we do. So, you know, it's, it's very common sense once you hear about it. And and it like I said, I think the main thing it does is put your talent into a repeatable process, which is what archery is, which is what shooting your compound is. Uh, one little link in that chain of your process shooting your compound, Jason, blows your shot up, right? And same thing with the recurve. Yeah, yeah. We've got so, to replicate what we can do.
2: So, Tom, here's a question for you: You take sure. somebody that you know maybe they've had a compound, and and all of a sudden they're listening to this or listening to another other podcast or a buddy talking and they say, you know, I really need to check that out. What is, you know, I mean, obviously if you're, you know, within a few hours from Denver, obviously you go straight to the source, but Mm -hmm. you know, for somebody that's not, you know, three hours from Denver, what, what is a resource? What is the best way for people to get involved in, in traditional archery? What would you recommend starting (laughs) out?
3: You know, Unfortunately, resources are fairly small, but they're out there. There is, um, I've got an online course, Solid Archery Mechanics. It's a couple hundred bucks. It's a lifetime investment. It's refreshed with better information all the time. Um, you don't have to spend the money for a course like mine. If you Googled my name, you'd find a lot of YouTube videos where I'm talking to Aaron Snyder or, or doing a podcast or I did a seminar and they put it on film. And there's a lot of technique within that. I've done a lot of podcasts with the Push Archery podcast. And we did, I think, 13 different episodes of each little part of the shot. And there's a lot of information through the push bit on shooting a a bow. Um, You know, a mentor is absolutely critical. Um, There's a lot of information out there. YouTube's got a giant amount of information, but the quality of it all is very different. And so, you know, I tell people this when they take a met- let's lesson with me is when you take instruction, you should be skeptical. And I invite people to be skeptical with anything I say. If it doesn't make common sense to you, you should ask me a question like eh, that doesn't make sense, Tom. It gives me a chance to clarify the you know information I'm trying to get across. Or it or it might make me reconsider um, what I'm teaching. It hadn't happened yet, but it could. So, anyways, um, the internet through um, like Online courses like this, or the free information with the YouTube videos I put out, or podcasts like The Push, very good sources of information. Uh, Clay Hayes is another fellow that teaches good information that's out there. Uh, Rod Jenkins has got an online course, good information out there. Um, But overall, it's not like the compound world where there's a lot of good information. It's fairly narrow, and you really have to kind of weed through it, unfortunately. Our store, Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. You can call us at any time. We spend most of our de- most of our days teaching people stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I review videotapes from guys all the time that don't even do business with us, just to try to get this information out there. It needs he's to be tired,
1: out there. He's tired of watching videos me, Jason. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm not tired of it. You know what?
2: I'm tired of watching videos of you, and I'm on a podcast with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I can so, take this, though. Tom has probably answered more stupid questions that I've thrown his way than maybe. No, it's
3: just all the questions that we have to get the answer to because we, we didn't come out of the womb with this information.
1: Add up every hey, hey. you add up every teacher I had in my school in my schooling, and I probably never asked as many questions as I've Tom. <laughs> i have
3: asked. I enjoy it. Dylan. I enjoy it.
2: So, so Dylan, you're saying uh, on the on the podcast that we have now, you've asked Tom. More stupid questions than you've asked me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, oh my! That's saying something, isn't it? Whoa, <laughs> that's saying. Tom something. is a very patient man. Very, <laughs> very much so.
3: Yeah, I get a kick out of it. We're always talking arrow tuning, or my release went to hell, or what's going on. I, and we chat quite a bit, either through text or on the phone.
1: You know, that's my favorite. Um, and I just want to throw this out there. That's my favorite part of shooting. As frustrating as it becomes, at, at sometimes that's the joy for me in shooting a recurve is you get a compound, you take it to a bow shop, they tune it, you're ready to go. But with a recurve, you've got to put the time in, like you've got to figure Mm -hmm. out what does this bow like? And, and, and it's, it's, it really does put the art back in archery for me. Um, and and it, it puts that just that going downstairs and tinkering with your knock height, and your, your brace height and all that stuff. It puts that, that excitement back into it for me.
3: Mm-hmm. But what you see, it's not rocket science, though, is it, Dylan? Not at all. Yeah. You try a few things or you call a guy like me and say, hey, it's things coming out stiff or the back of my arrow slamming against the the side plate, what's going on? And, you know, we just discuss how that arrow is acting and all of a sudden go, it's kind of a, most of the time it's kind of like, duh, once you yeah.
1: hear it verbalized, right? Yeah. It's like, well, now I feel stupid. <laughs> but you shouldn't. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again. <laughs> jason said and i am back to my main point <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it's a no, lot of fun get... i
3: think the biggest mistake and i'll put this out here since we're talking about it is getting a bow with too much draw weight and just let me explain why that's so critical if you have if you're overbowed, proper positions and movements aren't available to your you and your body if you're compressed so much that your muscular system can't, the muscles that depress your shoulder and keep it low are not powerful enough to keep this thing from drifting up. And that's harmful to your shoulder. If you have a little bit too much bow weight, the muscles in your back, maybe you can get it to the side of your cheek here, but you can't rotate here into an end of range of movement. You can't set up a good holding position. You can't get your skeletal structure in alignment. And then it's unpleasant. It's simply not as much fun if you're struggling against the weight of the bow. But as far as positions, it's all about positions to movements to positions, right? If you're over bowed, you literally can't set a better position up or make a movement like you should. Literally can't. So your first bow should be something you can literally dominate. You want to be able to move slowly so you can get these patterns dialed in correctly. Slow is cognitive. You want to keep it in a cognitive state to learn, because if you're, if you can think through it, you can correct it. You're going slow enough to you can correct or stop a movement. If you have, if you're overbowed, you have to move fast. Well, there's no correcting. There's no perfecting in that. So your first so, bow should be very light in poundage. So,
2: so Tom, to, like, like your, your average bow hunter, I, I, probably a lot of people are shooting that 60 to 70 range. Not anymore. So when you say, not anymore. Oh, you mean no, with compounds? No, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant on compounds. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. Where you see a lot of guys with with compounds in that 60 to mm-hmm. 70 pound range. When you say very lightweight for for trad gear, Good What does that equate to? Is that 30 25 pounds? to 30? Thir- literally oh, 25
3: wow. to 35. Literally. Okay. And we just walk so up to the weight. We trade. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We we trade limbs until we you know until we kind of plateau in a hunting weight. And Then you shop for a nice bow. Okay, So you get, a, you get a nice riser where we can interchange uh, inexpensive limbs or inexpensive, say, Samick Sage, and you train through this bow, you know, and we do limb trades. That's what we do at Rocky Mountain Special here. We do limb trades, and we just walk them up and do a honeyweight. Now shop wow. for a nice bow. Now put a really okay. great set of limbs on the nice riser you bought if you if you bought it like an ILF setup. So okay. So that's, that's, if, if a guy's like, um, it's always a question. Like, do you really want to get good at this? Yes, I want to eventually hunt with this. Okay, here's my recommendation: we need to start with a bow that you can do every proper position and movement with. And so let's do what I just prescribed. Let's walk up the weights, and you're training the whole time. You're getting stronger the whole time. And you buy this 25 pound bow, and in two weeks or a month, it feels like a noodle. Well, we we walk it up to 30 or 35. Okay, now you shoot that for a month, it feels like a noodle. Now let's walk it up to 40. Now we get to 45. We're definitely in. You can hunt elk, or in your oh, bigger okay. animal, you know, especially if you're a tall guy. And then you're starting to get ready to go and get invest in some nice equipment. But if you'll just spend three to six months developing your okay. skills, you're going to be so well served for the rest of your life. You're not going to build those bad positions into muscle, what we call muscle memory or imprint positions and movements that are less than ideal. You can still shoot well with less than ideal positions. And then get to me and we'll tune those up into better position. You shoot even better. But it, if you want to realize your potential, that's the way I prescribe doing it. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's I fun would... grabbing any kind of bone shooting. But well, if you it really is. want to get good at it, yeah. then let's back off a little bit.
2: Because And you just wonder, because you see, you know, all these different various weights and lengths and all this stuff. And, and yes. you know, it gets a little bit, I would imagine... If if you're not in the archery world at all, I'd imagine compounds would be the same. It's like, I don't, what's an axle to axle? What's yeah, axle? why is this one 350
3: no. and this one's 1,250? What's the difference between yeah. two compounds? Yeah, it's always, and, everybody's got the same questions and they're all valid questions that need to be answered by somebody.
2: Yeah, and so even with, with folks that are in the archery world, I, you know, it's almost like, well, gosh, I'm a bow hunter. I should probably know this. So, like to Dylan's point earlier, asking stupid questions. Well, they're not stupid questions if they're legitimate and you honestly don't know the answer. Well, for out Lab,
3: who do we get to hang out with? Maybe, you know, when I started, it was my buddy and me. Yeah. It was all experimentation. We did the best we could with what we had to work with. So, I, you know, there's never, if any reasonable person would never have judgment to a guy asking a question that, you know, you found out about. 30 years ago i found out about it 30 years ago and you you do some sometime or another you got to get some good advice so uh yeah i just everybody at our store loves sharing this stuff because it's our passion we get it you know so it's it's giggle fun to get guys into this and watch the enjoyment they're getting out of it
2: well and probably when they they bring in that picture hey here's that buck i got with that bow you helped me set up Oh, buddy. when we went from 25 to 35 to 40 pounds. Yeah. Here's, here's that buck I got with that. The pictures the women.
3: guys send me and Dylan include makes my day, makes my week. It, it's like, yes, what I'm doing is really awesome. Yeah. And the and the relationships I developed, the friendships I developed along the way, that's what it's all about for me. I mean, it, you know, making the pointy thing come out of the bendy thing is cool and it's fun, but really it's the people you meet and the relationships you make through life that makes this the most worthwhile thing for me. It's,
1: Speaking it's of that, easy. Jason, next time I fly into Dallas for a layover and I say uh, not Dallas, Denver, and I say, Hey yeah. Jay, I'm gonna lay over for two days in, in Denver. And you're like, why? It's because I'm going to get some online we, yeah, buddy. Some coaching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> buddy, I got a bedroom. I got an extra bedroom. You're welcome anytime, man. You <laughs> gotta get that in writing, Jason.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, no kidding. Well we, we of, make,
1: Sorry, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go well, ahead. I was gonna say, speaking of hands-on coaching, um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that Pope and Young's ever done a giveaway uh, or a stream of giveaways. Oh yes. Large. So starting December fourteenth, you got to tune into our Instagram and our Facebook. We have twelve days of giveaways. Each day, uh, a new winner. Each day, a new prize, and we have over ten thousand dollars worth of prizes to give away in that twelve days. One of which is some uh, instructional coaching with Tom Clum and some hands-on coaching with Tom Clum uh which wow. is just huge um and for somebody looking to get into shooting a traditional bow we could put a value on it but but that is almost invaluable so yeah. make sure and, and tune into that cuz you can get some free hands-on coaching with Tom Clum and that's coming right up
2: 12 yeah. days of Christmas that's- yeah
1: this this releases on uh December what is that the 6th um and so you're one week away from, from when we launch these giveaways. Uh, this is, this is the seventh, I should say, I'm sorry, this is the seventh. And so literally a week from today, those giveaways start, uh, with over $10,000 worth of prizes. So make sure and tune in. Oh, wow. on that.
2: That's good. That's Somebody's going to, well, a lot of folks are going to get lucky, uh, starting next week, but, uh, that's yeah. definitely a good one. And it's, um, You know, we've got a bunch of good prizes and some of you're like, wow, I'd love to win that. But this is one of those that could could really like change, literally change the way you do things.
3: Yeah, typically, you know, I'm not speaking for me, but you get a good coach. And if you hire a good coach, it's the best money you spend in archery. And it's me getting this information, paying for it was the best money I've ever spent in archery. So uh, it's invaluable. Forget equipment, forget all the doodads that you get along the way. But the knowledge to produce an accurate shot, it's it's the number top of the list. So I think it's really, really cool. Really fun thing to do in my life is to share this information.
2: Yeah. I I should probably do that even just shooting a compound. Yeah, my formal training was, you know, 32 years ago but he's like, you should buy a bow. And I'm like, okay. And <laughs> then I bought, I, I ordered a bow offline, you know, cause it was one I could afford. And, you know, he set it up for me on the tailgate of the truck. And that was, you know, a tu- you know, tuning, what's that? What a paper? I I mean, yeah. it was just a little bit different then. And so my, my formal education was here, shoot the hay bale. Okay.
3: Yeah, you got it.
2: And that, uh, <laughs> So, th- things have changed, and I know the equipment certainly has, but
3: yeah, yeah, this technology right here makes uh, so much more available to people.
2: Well, yeah, like
3: you were saying, old guys, you not you're not that old, but it, we didn't have this. It was, you were on you're your right. own, completely on your own.
2: Yeah, they didn't <laughs> even have online when I ordered my bow, they didn't have online, it was a catalog <laughs> that you got exactly literally borrowed my buddy's paper catalog and it called somebody on a telephone
3: yeah a yeah.
2: probably a rotary dial telephone to to order my first bow certainly
3: and uh so. it wasn't rocky mountain especially you can call and ask a question about trad archery about shooting about arrow tuning about a bow about yeah. anything you want you know there's just what the resources weren't there so it's getting to be a better day to be it to get into this stuff
2: yeah so. Back then, of, it was like, how, "Why did you do that?" Well, it's because that's how my buddy does it. So why would I do it any other way? Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. you can actually do the research. Now you can say, "Well, I was watching one of Tom Clum's videos, and Tom <laughs> yes. said," and then that's a little bit more valid than, "Well, that's because how my buddy does it."
3: <laughs> gotcha. me you had you something.
1: Talked, you talked a little bit about uh, looking. For, you, you talked a little bit about looking for poundage in your first bow. Um, do you look for any kind of AMO when you're, when you're getting a first bow or trying to get into it?
3: Well, if you're a real tall fella, um, you're going to need a 62 or 64 inch bow because most, you know, the shorter the bow, this is a generality, the shorter the bow, the faster you're going to hit a stack. So a stack and a recurve is as you're drawing the bow back, it typically adds a certain amount of poundage per inch that you draw. So let's say it's going plus two, plus two, plus two, right? Well, at the point where it goes plus two, plus two, plus two and a half, plus three and a quarter, that's, you just hit the stack when it added additional weight for that additional inch, more than the two, two, two. So it's it's not easy on a bow to pull through the stack. It's not pleasant to shoot a bow that stacks before your, your draw length. The other factor is something called string pinch. So there's a, a triangle. There's not a strong bow in here. But anyway, there's a strong, a triangle formed around your fingers, if you can picture it. That string's going that way and that way. The longer the bow, the wider that triangle, so the less pinch on your fingers you're going to get. So from the perspective of, especially if you're a hardworking guy, you got these thick hands, these thick fingers, you're going to need a longer bow just to avoid... String pinch or just unpleasantness, unpleasantness from the string, literally pinching your fingers together. So that's a generality. Gotcha. There are I've got short bows that'll pull smooth to thirty-two inches, and I've got I've seen longer sixty-eight inch bows, and damn it, they didn't stack at twenty-seven inches. But in general, mm-hmm. longer bows can serve a bigger fella better. Uh, sh- real short bows, you. you know, like a bare Super Kodiak, you know, or Kodiak Magnum, I should say, you know, fifty-two or the Super Mags or were 48 inches. That's a niche bow. I mean, that's a little bow that you're going to be shooting close range in a blinder and tucked into the brush with. Um, you're not going to get the same accurate. That string, you're going to have pinch if you're an average size guy, and you're not going to get to the string as easy. So your accuracy is going to decrease a little bit. A little more or less forgiving because when you pull here a little bit, it bends the limbs more as a percentage. So you have to be a little I, more I, you know, exacting on your draw length to shoot it well so um those are just generalities
1: that's that's probably the second question i get and i'm like i i don't know you know they're like well do i need a 60 62 58 and i'm like uh that part i don't know you know <laughs> so, so that's the, you can that kinda, you
3: kind of can't get too long but you can get too short it's like poundage in a recurve or a, a stick bow you can't be underbowed where it causes a bad thing you can any, anything overbowed is a detriment to you in your shooting and maybe the health of your shoulders. Anything under that weight is not a detriment. So you can always be overbowed, but you can never be underbowed, so to speak. Um, and, and so 62 is a nice round figure, I mean, for a bow that'll fit most every body. When you get into that 6'4, 6'5 length, you've got wide shoulders, long arms, you're going to need a longer bow, 64, 66 inch bow. This gotcha. so is generality, like everything, and not in a bow you can dominate to start with. <laughs> you want to be comfortable, and that stills that comfort is the factor for your whole bow hunting career, your whole shooting career. Actually, you want to be comfortable with it. Yeah, I didn't know what that's... you guys were going to be asking me today, so I was kind of ready for everything. But you know, obviously, <laughs> yeah, if you talk about shooting a bow, you're in my wheelhouse, so that's that's yeah. fine.
2: For me, I find confidence is is a big part of my shooting. If if I if i'm a little unsure about it then you know what it's probably not going to connect and if i if i draw back and i'm like oh you're toast i got you then i do. confident
3: confident equals cognitive confident equals you're in your thinking mind you you are performing the task that's at hand through your conscious control if you're unconfident you go into anxiety you're liable to jump into the un, subconscious control automatic happens If you're jazzed out and you're not if you don't have confidence, things happen automatically. It's a natural human tendency. So confident equals conscious control. And that's 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 why that when we're confident, like you know what you're gonna do and you do it. If you don't, if you're all full of anxiety, you tend to just get automatic with everything. You go to you know the amygdala, you go into the Danger, danger, danger zone! of your brain, and that's an automatic. It's a fight, flight, freeze response part of your brain. So when you're confident, you're staying in the thinking part of the brain, and you're running what you need to run. Mm. So confidence is absolutely a giant factor, but you can't fake it. It never works. Oh. You know, oh. I'm going to be confident. That doesn't work. You get knowledge, you practice what you've learned, and you you do show yourself. Yes, I can do it. And so in a calm setting. In a conscious setting with some instruction hopefully you know so you can do this The you know reach your potential you do this in a very cognizant you learn in the cognitive mind and then you learn what you can leave to the subconscious but you have to learn also what you got to keep conscious the finish of that shot is always the cognitive conscious part of your shot you have to conclude your shot properly the aim is taken care of by the subconscious that's another thing that's hard to learn for guys If you are controlling aim, how you conclude your shot is completely subconscious. If you realize that the subconscious will maintain your aim for at least three seconds, you can make a mental transition to conclude your shot properly or to run your trigger properly, whatever trigger you're running. So, I mean, these are the things that it's an everybody question. That's why I I talk about, I beat this drum a lot as far as mental control and how we're finishing our shot. But your but back to your basic statement: confidence is absolutely king, and but you have to put the work in to get it. You yeah. can't fake it.
2: <laughs> now, Tom, are you seeing a lot of uh, youth and ladies and and taking up traditional? Yes. PR?
3: So what we've seen lately is this kind of this resurgence of what's called bare bow shooting. It that's basically yeah. a target bow. It's like an Olympic bow without all the weights and the clickers and the sight pin. And so, if you see the Lancaster open or you see USA Archery added a barebow division as a competitive venue now, and so that is really catching on. And I've got a few women in my store that are really getting good. We formed a USA Archery team, we registered a team, nice. and we're and we've got uh, we've got two women on our team right now. So it's 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 exciting for me to you know to kind of support these shooters and and um, you know we'll have team practices and that kind of thing and and keep moving along. And it's a lot of fun, but yes, we're going to be adding a ladies night league before long. Um, and it's cause sometimes the women want like to hang out with the other women to shoot, you know? Yeah. Uh, they need to feel comfortable in whatever environment yeah. they're in. And we don't want to treat them any differently. And unfortunately, there are some shops that do, you know?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> well, and it's, and, and, you know, I think sometimes from what I've seen just being around shooting sports, it's not that they can't do it. It's just that they don't know they can do it. And yeah. so, you know, it was, it, it, if you haven't been exposed I at first, and I'll, I'll use, not that I'm a lady, but a very similar thing. First time I shot sporting clays, they, I walked up and I'd never done it before. And they said, well, mm-hmm. you know, what class would you register under? And I was like, well, what's the lowest one. Yeah. And, uh, and so I registered as a C-class shooter. And, and, won the whole thing, but I, I had no idea. I'd never done it before. i would never been. Be yeah. Just didn't, didn't know that it could do, you know what you're doing. And I think I've had that experience where you'll have ladies that, that they're right in there with anybody else shooting well, away, but they just I'll don't I'll tell know you
3: something. It. I'll tell you something. Women, and this is a great generality and you talk to any archery coach, way easier to teach. There, I don't know if a woman's mind's more process oriented or they have more body awareness, but as far as the the act of putting a great shot together, women are way easier to teach than men. I've and heard that they about too. I've heard, I, I have, but they accomplish good form and accurate shooting sooner than men do. They're yeah. generally, as a generality, I love teaching women.
1: I think, I think part of that is like a dude's mind is just automatically like, oh yeah, let's shoot that. You know what I mean, like they're so excited. And so like, uh, oh, I'm going to shoot this or, you know, if-
3: well in a lot of men have depended on their athleticism right. with whatever sport they did. Archery is not so easy to, to just count on athleticism for accuracy.
1: Right. But, yeah.
3: uh, I don't know. It, you know, there's probably a bunch of factors, but in general, women pick up really great form or high level form much faster than men in general.
2: I think it's the ego. They don't have that ego. That's a factor. Them way, helping yeah. them get where they want to be.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that could so, be for sure.
2: <laughs> well, but, that's, uh, so top, top tip. So if, if you had to tell a, uh, either a new boat hunter or an, or somebody looking at getting into trad, what's what's the very first thing you'd tell them?
3: Well, we got to find mentorship. Um, okay. This is a really hard thing to do on your own. And I'd say particularly at West, when you're talking about, running up in the mountains and in the wilderness because there's a whole other skill set to backpacking, say, or taking care of yourself in the mountains, keeping yourself safe. Um, mentorship is a big thing. I think most all of us had a buddy at least that they wanted to get into it with or somebody that mentored us. It's really hard to find. So what if you're, what if you're alone? Join an archery club. You'll meet other people there through our leagues and through our store, just people coming in to shoot. I've seen a lot of guys partner up and end up being famous hunting partners you know what i mean and yeah. just having a great time together uh searching out the resources getting listening to podcasts like this and like having somebody plant the seed in their mind is like oh i don't want to pick up that 50 pound bow that i want to hunt with right? right i need to start lighter so i can learn this or we just found a resource for podcasts or courses or you know we gave a little venues in there that you start hearing what is a what is a technically correct shot all about where do i hear about that you know um so point to the right place um rocky mountain special gear we're trad specialists everybody in our store grew up shooting a, a stick bow or everybody on our, that side of the store we have a compound side too but grew up and hunts actively hunts with a bow and we love just sharing this information that we've learned and trust me if i've got a customer and he's been doing some things i have i'm picking his brain like crazy i want to learn from him. yeah you know it's it's this information sharing it's very satisfying so um it's really hard to start on your own but uh, you know i would say to um make stuff available to the resources we talk about today and this podcast obviously has now become i haven't heard um Others talk about this stuff, but this one today, we've pointed some people in the right direction.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's you know, as as you know, Pope and Young's all about you know bow hunting and promoting it, and, yeah. and
3: uh, bow hunting so, started.
2: <laughs> yeah, more shooters we can get out there, the more hunters we can get out there, and, yeah, and We want the more big lobby, the better off we are. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's I'll tell you what. There's there's been a lot of good information. Flow here today, my brain's still processing some of it. I'm like, mm, "Wow, that made sense." So that's yes. just how I how okay. I do things. You bet. You bet. But uh, the 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 poundage thing is is probably for me that's a, a big takeaway because I'm like, "Oh, gee, yeah. I shoot, you know, if you're just getting into pounds, so and you're right, I shoot a sixty pound recurve, whatever." Yeah. so If you're thinking about
3: then, getting into it, that might be the most important okay. thing we talk about today. Yeah. Just get a light bow that you can have fun with and learn form with. Yeah. Well,
2: that's good. Well, Tom, one of the things that we ask everybody on this show is when you find yourself out, out in the woods or on the mountain, what is one maybe non-traditional item that you find your in your pack or your pocket that you can't leave home without?
3: Non-traditional item.
2: Yeah. So, And that's that's not in the sense of the bow of the archery world, but just, you know, everybody should have a knife. But what's something that maybe is not everybody would have in their pack?
3: Hmm. I'm trying to think of what I've got in my pockets all the time, you know, yeah. besides the normal stuff other guys might have, whether it be navigation or compass or uh, a cigarette lighter, not to okay. light a cigarette or light a fire. But for a wind detector, is okay. always in my pocket. And I don't, I, in all the years I've hunted with guys, I haven't seen too many guys with a Bic lighter in their pocket that they go and see where the wind's pointing.
2: Right. So you don't <laughs> use a little puffer bottle? No,
3: that lighter okay. is, I, you know, it's just always there. And I can start a damn fire. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you, know? <laughs> you know, you're not going to start a fire with a puffer bottle. That's exactly,
3: sure. there's no other use for it. Um,
2: I don't know, right. Yeah.
3: Put me on the spot, well, we, but that's the first thing I came up with. It's unusual that other people okay. might not carry. Yeah.
2: Well, we'll we'll have Dylan add that to the list. All righty. So we've we've got a pretty good list going so far. Very I, good. I'm I'm not sure, Dylan. Do you have a, what are your favorites? If you had to pick the top couple.
1: Um, bacon. Uh, Bacon's got to bacon. be at the top of the list.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, that just. That was a uh, that was a world rocker when Justin told us bacon that that was <laughs> it, it was one of the first ones and we're it's holding strong I mean, I mean through all these uh, episodes
3: is this pre cooked or has he got a uh, frying pan in his pack
2: no he no can't. this was actually when he was on the mountain he yeah. took a pack I think it was was it dehydrated or some kind of bacon yeah. and he said it, you know it's
1: like what you can I, buy at Sam's like the fully cooked stuff that you know I yeah know. dehydrated stuff. And he said that awesome.
2: after a week on the mountain eating nothing but you know little protein meals, he says, "Man, yeah. some, some bacon is just right."
3: Well, that's awesome.
2: So, I I can't ever, think of where I can't think of where bacon wouldn't be just right. But so I agree with you.
3: I will um, usually carry a little extra weight with a stick of pepperoni and a block of uh, Colby sharp cheese. Okay, <laughs> that's my favorite backpack. You know, snack hunt. Yeah, when I'm out there.
1: I have a whole soft side cooler, cooler with stuff like that.
3: Yeah, I love it.
1: You ever had an uncrustable though?
3: I don't even know what that is.
1: Oh, oh new disciple. New, new disciple, disciple right here. Uncrustable is uh the official tree stand snack of bow hunters across America. <laughs> okay. run, to yes. your, run to your Walmart, go to your okay. free section, and they have like little peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that are just little circles, but the, the crusts are cut off. Yeah. And uh they're frozen. So like you can put them in your pack in the morning and you know, by the time you're ready to eat, it, it's thawed out perfectly and you've got a great little peanut butter and jelly sandwich.
3: I ain't gonna lie, that sounds fantastic. They're great.
1: Now a yeah. now, couple of couple of tips
2: that we'll throw out there because uh, you know, Pope and Young is the bow hunter's organization. And so as uh Uncrustables are the official <laughs> snack of bow hunting <laughs> in North America, you know, we like to think of ourselves as the uh the leader on this topic, couple of, of little little tidbits of wisdom we'll throw out there. Number one, several <laughs> several of the guests have suggested that the packaging that comes from Uncrustables is yeah. a little too noisy. It's a little crinkly. Okay. So they a lot of folks they have suggested they wow. repackage just into a, a Ziploc bag. That's that a heck great. of a tip. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, number two, we learned this in actually it was in Minnesota at a recent staff meeting uh, because we didn't actually have Uncrustables at the staff meeting for uh, some some research that we were doing, and <laughs> we went to the local local quickie Quick Trip and uh, got a it wasn't an Uncrustables brand
1: less type of
2: sandwich, uh, and so us. my. You know, I like to go, you know, I, I'm okay with going generic where you can, yeah. but stick is, with Uncrustables. With, stick with the Uncrustables. So, those are, Dylan, I think those are probably two of the top ones,
1: wouldn't you say? I love it. Yeah. yeah. It Ultimately,
3: will create the most comfort and happiness. Yes.
2: Yes. yes. Uh,
1: Michael Waldell said that the one that he said was uh, he said he always carries two cigars. That way, if he kills, he can have one and give one to his cameraman. Uh, that was another one that was.
3: Yeah, that's unusual. Yeah, I like uh,
1: it. What if you don't have a cameraman? He gets through Then I guess.
3: We okay. get a buddy usually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody else said something I really liked. I don't remember what it was. Oh, it was uh, uh Chris Ham from HHA said uh, yeah. his his book, uh, A Life Life Looking, A Look at Life from a Tree Stand, uh, which is a, like a devotional book. And uh, I, I too have that book in my pack. So I like that one too. Nice. Nice.
3: Outstanding. Got yeah, it. usually you got a couple paperbacks. You know, when you got to, I, I don't know if we told this story before, Dylan, when I talked to you on those other podcasts, but, you know, usually on a pack trip, my buddy and I'll have a paperback each, right? So those down times, you got a little something to do. But you know, when you have a good partner, when he'll rip his book in half for you. <laughs> so if you finish your book first, you, you know, know, if your buddy finishes your book first or his book first, he's got to have something to read, right? Well, you're halfway through yours. You need to rip it where you're at and
2: give him the front half of your book. Yeah. Right. So that he's See, got I got some. I got some buddies. Those dudes would rip, give me the second half first. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd get the ending and have to figure out the rest later.
3: But a good hardened partner will tear his book in half for you.
2: Yeah. That's. Uh, are there, <laughs> Now, Now on your paperbacks, are those. Are those louis lamore what what's your oh i had a lot of
3: Lemore's in my pack okay. for sure yeah heck yeah that's good or, yeah and lots of other well,
2: stuff that's great well tom thank you very much for my all pleasure guys bow hunting for all you do for pope and young and everything i, I do really is my pleasure can, thank you really hope we can can get you to reno here in 23 and hopefully by that time i i may already have a a stick bow in my hands but if not um come see me i you know we're flying to Denver, how, jason Denver. To yeah. i'll tell this you is, what maybe we need to put that on the list Dylan. this is part we'll of your business man
3: archery is your business you need to come to Denver.
2: all right well tom thank you so much for joining us today it was a pleasure to have you and uh look forward to many more conversations
3: thank you thank you jason